but we've had successfully worked with several people over the years that once they had that clarity of the financial plan, once they had that confidence, once we stress tested their plan and walked them through really their worst fear um, and showed them that they're still going to be okay, we were able to nudge them to make smarter decisions to their benefit. So that's one of the reasons why it's this is really important. Welcome to Retire Smarter with Kevin Krosky. Find answers to your toughest questions and get educated about the financial world. It's time to retire smarter. It's another episode of Retire Smarter. Walter Storholt here alongside Kevin Krosky, President and Wealth Advisor at True Wealth Design, serving you in Northeast Ohio, Southwest Florida, and the greater Pittsburgh area. You can find us online at truewealthdesign.com and schedule a time to meet with an experienced advisor on the team. Just click the Are We Right For You button. Great show on the way today. Kevin, great to be with you once again. How you been? Well, it's always my pleasure, and uh, we're good. We're uh, just wrapped up Halloween. You know, when you have young children, particularly, it's uh, for us anyway. It was it's quite fun. Um, I think <laughs> tons of candy, uh, tons of candy. I don't know what the heck we're gonna do with it, but um, I'm making my wife hide it from me. Those Reese cups are just addictive. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but my girls went trick or treating like three times, so. Um, it was you, you have to explain that. I, I don't think in all of my years of trick or treating when I was a young young lad that I ever get to go trick or treating more than once. So three times is <laughs> three. wow. All right. So I, I well I've shared that we've done the um uh we, we bought a, a travel trailer and uh we found a, a campground that we really like uh, about twenty minutes south of us in northeast Ohio, it's called Clay's Park. Uh and uh so the the campground had trick or treating about a week before actual Halloween. So we went down there. That was awesome. Um, it was quite a bit of fun. And then there was a school event, trick or treating on Saturday afternoon that I took the kids to. And then there was trick or treating on, um, actually Halloween on Sunday night, which was particularly enjoyable for me because that was the day of my Steelers beat the Browns. And I made sure as I walked around the neighborhood that I was dressed head to toe Steelers garb. So it was fun for everybody. Your, 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 your outfit was probably an easy pick that evening. <laughs> it was. I got a couple of bad, uh, bad looks, if you will, uh, from, from some of the friendly neighbors that were giving my kids candy. And I'd like to think that they didn't give them any less just because of how their dad was dressed. Oh man, that is uh, that is fantastic. Well, no wonder you have copious amounts of candy still still remaining. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. <laughs> very impressive, very impressive. So, the Reese's is your uh, that that's your kryptonite. That's your candy of choice. Yeah, that's my my three year old. Oh my gosh, I mean, she's it's like every night. Oh my my tummy hurts, and then she she'll get down and try to stop eating dinner, and then she goes right over the candy. Like, like yeah, no, yeah, wait a minute, you really just said hurts. your tummy hurts. Really hurts. <laughs> she just tries to work the system. I mean, it's it's so cute and obvious. And our eight year old is she's like a little angel in comparison. So it's they oh, keep us on our toes. That is good stuff. Uh, settle, settle this debate, and then we'll jump into today's episode, because everybody seems to have a different opinion of candy corn. Take it or leave it? I'm a leave it kind of guy. Um, it's a little, I would say a little too sweet, uh, but yeah, I mean, if I, I'm not a big candy person. I try to be healthy, but if I'm gonna if I'm gonna pile on some calories, uh, yeah, it's it's gone for the Reese cups for sure. Yeah, that's a good a good choice. That's a very uh, adult. Uh, and just universally loved candy. I mean, you just can't go wrong with a Reese's in any situation, really. It's there you go. Always good. All right. Well, on today's show, uh, we're talking about what's a, quote unquote, conservative investor 
to do these days? And it's probably a good question, Kevin, because it's really hard to describe what happens in today's financial world as conservative in any stretch of the imagination. I mean, just, I don't know, I just think about seeing the headlines over the last couple of months, whenever you have this new hot stock or or meme coin or something that goes up, you know, 300 billion percent only to fall 300 billion percent. Well, I guess that's impossible. Fall 100 uh, percent the, ver- the very next well, day. That's awesome that you caught that, by the way. I I'm, caught it. I caught I'm it. proud of you. <laughs> the very next day then goes down 100 percent. I mean, that's not anywhere near like the conservative investment. But that's what gets all the attention and the drama and the intrigue in today's world. It's uh, it, I, I can see why this is a good question to ask on today's show. So I can't wait to see what you have in store for us. Sure. So, I mean, it's tough. Uh, our last podcast, we talked about, uh, at least in part, you know, the investment allocation and, and maybe some things to be thinking about and expectations that we should have uh, from uh, for returns from these investments, you know, looking out. Over the next decade, and we talked about how um, many assets, you know, stocks and bonds included, um, are, are quite uh, rosy in, in their price, meaning that we can expect, you know, fairly muted returns. Um, as you know, the couple expect return forecasts that we mentioned from Vanguard and Schwab uh, outlined. And I, when you look at uh, our clients here, on average, there's about a little bit more than sixty percent that's within. Um, stocks, generally speaking. Um, so it's, it's been a good time to be a, a risk on type investor, but not everybody's, not everybody's there. Um, so we have several clients and I'm sure there's a lot of people that are listening to this that, um, if they were to look into their portfolio, there's, you know, quite a bit more bonds in cash and not nearly as much in stocks. You know, maybe there's 20, 30, you know, maybe up to 50% or so. And, and, you know, one of the things to keep in mind, um, and we talked about this on episode 77 is these sort of qualitative terms, conservative, aggressive. They're just qualitative. You know, you really need to do, um, to measure. A little bit differently. Um, we always talk about, you know, kind of measuring and, and this is really why this is important, but really measuring your, the required return that you need, uh, you know, from your investments to make your financial life plan work. Uh, we talk about measuring your risk capacity or your ability to go ahead and take risk. And, um, and even if things go awry that you don't have, um, a, excessive lifestyle risk where you're really going to have to cut back and not have your needs and other important goals met. Then thirdly, then we talk about more of the qualitative side or your risk tolerance or your willingness to take risk. And one of the things over the years that I found is um, when people do not have a, a plan and they don't have, see how everything is you know, integrated and aligned, um, they don't have that clarity. Um, they don't have the confidence that they're going to be okay. It's easy. And I think it's just brain science. Um, it's kind of that fight or flight mechanism where you just revert back to a stage of fear and maybe even in action. And it's easier just to keep money in cash or something safe or perceived to be safe. But also I, I found when you do kind of bring everything together, you can walk people through, you know, show them, you know, here's how much you're spending. You know, let's go through and kind of rank your, your higher priority goals, your needs, then things that are, you know, kind of going down to more discretionary, where if you did have to cut back, you know, those are the discretionary buckets where you would cut back from. You define that, not us. Everybody's a little bit different in that regard. So w- when you're looking at that and you're looking at this plan and you're seeing how the pieces and parts, you know, fit together, and then we can go and stress test and show that, hey, even if, you know, the stock market sells off, you know, by 50%, you know, similar to what it did in, in 08 and 09, 
um, you're still going to be okay uh, and, and maybe even more than okay. Well, that's one of the ways that we go ahead and measure this capacity for risk. And what I found in some, not all occasions, um, but in many, is that when you pull everything together, that fear, that sense of inaction, that desire to just be a, a really conservative investor, when you can go ahead and, and clearly show somebody that, hey, you're going to be fine and you can't afford to take a little bit more risk, then oftentimes they can make a smarter you know, allocation decision and maybe own a little bit more in stocks, in real estate, and other things that have higher return expectations uh, than cash or high quality bonds. Um, so that's, that's not a universal, I mean, some people, uh, are truly, you know, um, just very risk averse. And, and even though they have very high risk capacity or uh, ability to take risk, they're just not going to feel comfortable with it. But we've had successfully worked with several people over the years that once they have that clarity of the financial plan, once they have that confidence, once we stress test their plan and walk them through really their worst fear, um, and show them that they're still going to be okay. We, we were able to nudge them to make smarter decisions to their benefit. Um, so that's one of the reasons why it's this is really important. But but even if you are kind of taking say a balanced approach to your portfolio, you know maybe maybe half in stocks or half in bonds um, or even less than that, uh, I, I would probably you know say that's where you're starting to give uh, into. Uh, I'll use the qualitative term here uh, a little bit more of a conservative investor. So. You know, the more bonds you have in the portfolio, the higher quality bonds you have in the portfolio, uh, the lower return you can expect, uh, and the more conservative uh, I would say that you are. Uh, so if that is you and, and you haven't had a plan, so what I'm going to do is just offer some potential solutions here and then also maybe a bit of a warning. So step one, I've kind of already talked about this about why it's important, but if you don't have a plan, I mean, that's really step one. That lack of clarity, lack of understanding often defaults to that fear and safety mindset, um, you know, fight or flight. And if you can get that clarity and you can get that confidence and we find that you have that risk capacity and we can educate you a little bit more to get you to a, a new level of comfortability, then maybe you, it would make sense to go ahead and um, take a little bit more risk uh, than those preservation assets and then those high quality bonds uh, really would uh, allow you to do otherwise. So that's step one. And even if you are just going to remain uh, a conservative investor, you know, sticking, you know, staying away from stocks or what have you, a plan still helps because uh, the other side of kind of that short term, you know, volatility and the market decline risk uh, that we think goes along with stocks uh, where things could sell off, you know, 20, 30, 50% maybe is kind of the slow way to go broke on the other side. If you're so conservative and everything is in cash, uh, or you know, kind of low yielding bonds or annuities or something like that that people are perceiving as safe. Well, there's a lot of risk, a lot more risk in that case that you can go broke slowly over time. Um, because, you know, like today, I mean, inflation is fairly high. Um, you, interest rates are low. You are losing money on an after inflation or what we call a purchasing power basis. You do that consistently for a decade and you don't have a ton of money relative to your spending. It's going to be a very slow way to go broke. You're just, you're at risk of probably realizing it too late when there's not much to do about it. So you're taking risk. Even if you're conservative, you're just exchanging that kind of short term volatility risk for long term purchasing power risk, long term interest rate risk. I think that is really, really important to remember. Um, know the risks that you're taking. Makes sense. Know the risks that you're taking. Good uh, starting point. And that's all part of that getting a plan in place. What else? 
Sure. Um, so another simple one, I think a lot of people probably heard, you can build a bond ladder. So rather than keeping your money um, in just shorter term investments, you know, the example I always always give is uh, the interest rate charged uh, to somebody on a 30 year mortgage is almost always higher than like a 15 or 10 year mortgage. So the longer you go out in time, um, the higher the yields are. You have to be careful when you do this. Uh, in the prior episode, we talked about um, kind of that duration risk and you know, what happens to those longer dated bonds uh, if interest rates go up. And what happens is the price goes down. Um, but if you're holding these bonds all the way to maturity, I would argue that you can probably ignore any price movement in between um, because you know if you're buying, say, you need $100,000 in 10 years for spending and you buy a $100,000 bond today that's maturing in 10 years, Yes, the price of the bond will move around, you know, over those that 10 year period until maturity, but you know what you're going to get in year 10. So there is certainty within the cash flow. So you can go ahead and, and build a bond ladder. And, and again, that's just kind of laddering bonds out over time, you know, maybe keeping your shorter term money in cash, but then maybe buying a three, five, seven, 10 year bond, you know, so on and so forth, and just really kind of dedicating those bonds to meet your spending goals over time. So, so that's something that's been around quite a long time. There's different ways to do it. You have to decide what kind of bonds you want to buy. That's a whole other conversation. But nonetheless, uh, if you're buying the bonds and holding them all the way until maturity, then you do have a lot more certainty in that cash flow. And because you are buying those longer dated bonds, uh, in general, you should be able to get a higher yield from your bond portfolio. Okay, makes sense. Uh, I like it when we start with the easy stuff, Kevin. All right, yeah, easy is good. Um, I'll go to uh, annuities next. Um, so we've done some episodes uh, fairly early on, probably back maybe like episode, I don't know, I would say in the 10s, 10 to 20 or so, we did a few. Generally not a fan of most annuities, uh, how they are sold, but there are some that um, can be used properly. Um the important thing to remember is there's really kind of two broad types of annuities. I would say accumulation annuities, which is mostly what you find being sold and purchased in the marketplace. Um, these could be the fixed indexed annuities, the variable annuities, things like that, that tend to be higher cost and uh, I'm not a fan of so much, uh, particularly for how they are sold. And then the decumulation annuities, uh, and these are those types that are more pension-like where you're giving money to an insurance company and converting that asset into an income stream. Um, the general principle here is, you know, when you take a whole group of people as an insurance company does and pulls that risk, well, some people are going to die prematurely. Some people are going to live longer than average, but when you get a sufficiently large number of people, um, the insurance company can afford to offer a higher payout to those people within that pool than what somebody could sustain on their own when there's just you know a sample size of one, just you or you and your spouse. Um, so it's very rare that these things are bought. Uh, I think one to 2% of the annuity sales are these uh, decumulation products. They could be of the variety where they could be an immediate annuity um, that you know you say you give a hundred thousand dollars to insurance company today and they'll start paying you a monthly amount that you cannot outlive next month. Uh, so that's one. There's others like everything. Um, there's all these acronyms, but like a QLAC stands for Qualified Longevity Annuity Contract. Um, what it is is uh, say money. Say you give a hundred thousand dollars in your IRA to the insurance company. 
and uh, you say, hey, if if and when I reach age 80 or age 85, start paying me a, a monthly amount or an annual amount for as long as I live thereafter um, that I cannot outlive. Uh, so it's really kind of um, uh, insurance against living too long uh, and running out of money. And it, it's similar to uh, another one called a deferred income annuity. So the QLAC is just inside of an IRA. Um, deferred income annuity could just be outside of the IRA, but in principle, uh, they're really the same. Um, so rather than starting immediately, they start at a future date. And um, you know, generally, I'd say 80, 85, 90. There's not a lot of these that are sold. Um, there's a lot of good economic sense why they could make sense, particularly if you are a conservative investor that is owns a lot more cash and, and lower yielding bonds. And then lastly, in the annuity bucket, and this is really in the accumulation bucket, um, but there's something called a multi-year guaranteed annuity. So uh, we've used these to a limited extent over the years for more conservative clients, uh, but it, it really acts more CD-like. Um, the rates are higher than CDs, and the rates are actually fairly attractive relative to similar duration bonds that you can buy. And the benefit, too, is in a rising rate environment, um, you're just going to get the stated interest rate for the multi-year guaranteed annuity, or MIGA for short. So they're, they're not bad to use. I'm not exactly a, a huge fan of them. I think there's better ways to do it. But if somebody's truly you know, kind of conservative and, and um, wants to keep things very, very simple, uh, MIGAs can be uh, a good part of that solution. Um, I believe it was episodes 12 and 13 or 11 and 12 had our annuity discussions in depth on them. So I uh, guess tw- 12 and 13 had some pretty decent uh, annuity breakdowns in them. So if anybody wants to go get more information or check those out. Go back to the early days of the podcast. There you go. Yeah, just don't judge if I, <laughs> hopefully I've gotten better in my speaking abilities over the years. Um, uh, or judge, and but just focus on today. Uh, <laughs> there you go. Uh, progress, not perfection. Right, Walt? That's right. Um, exactly. Uh, so next, uh, I'll go into Social Security. Uh, and, and we've talked about benefits of Social Security deferral uh, in the past. Um, and, and this is something, uh, I just mentioned these annuities and annuitization. I would say that if if you're going down this path, uh, Social Security is really the best annuity that you can get out there. We've talked about that in just a recent episode about um, how Social Security is priced uh, from an annuity perspective, and you just can't get that kind of deal out in the marketplace today. So if you're going to do anything, you know, before you buy an annuity, you should be deferring Social Security. And if you're not doing that, then candidly, it just doesn't make mathematical sense. I'm not saying that people don't do it. I think they do it all the time. I just don't think they understand um, the math behind those decisions. So you can defer Social Security to as late as age 70, and uh, it keeps increasing every year in value. And again, that's uh, lifelong inflation-adjusted income stream as well. So uh, a nice big 6% increase uh, next year for Social Security. So one thing I will mention from a warning perspective, so we talked, I'll just kind of recap maybe the positives, and then I'll go into a warning um, but again, step one is get a plan. Um, there's just so much benefit that I've seen over the years for everyone, really, regardless of income. Just had a call with a gentleman last week with a very significant, you know, net worth and, um, and, but he doesn't have any clarity. And so, um, I can tell and just talking with him, um, that he doesn't have to worry about money, but he doesn't see how it's all going to fit together, how they're going to be able to afford their lifestyle, so on and so forth. He's selling a business. He doesn't know what he needs from the business. So, it doesn't matter if you have a very high net worth, 
um, or if you know you're just kind of uh, our, our typical client that you know has done well, saved, lived below their means, worked hard, and just wants to make sure that they make the most out of what they have and they don't outlive their money. It's important for everybody, so definitely get a plan. Um, you know, then the others that we mentioned, you know, you can build a bond ladder. Um, it's kind of a very simple way to go about and, and do this. I would argue, um, and I've seen examples where actually considering the annuities and the Social Security delay um, for particularly if you're healthy um, is better than doing a bond ladder. Um, so again, all these things are sort of kind of a rank priority that could be applied to people differently. But a bond ladder could make sense. Delay Social Security. Consider annuities, particularly, you know, MIGA's on the accumulation side, those multi-guaranteed annuities. Or uh, on the decumulation side, which from an income standpoint and from a retirement income standpoint can be quite favorable, particularly for these conservative investors that we're talking to today. So again, that's more pension-like. Um, it could start right away or could start you know, down the road uh, when you get you know, quite a bit older, maybe age 80 or 85. Uh, so those are some of the things that I thought of, um, you know, kind of what the conservative investor can do. Um, the warning that I will make as we wrap up is you don't simply reach for yield. Uh, we talked about this in the last uh, podcast episode, um, but you know, there's no free lunch that's out there. When it comes to bonds, you know, the higher the yield, the higher the risk, generally speaking. So that could be in the form of um, kind of that duration risk where you're buying longer data bonds, which I mentioned under the build the bond ladder. The slight difference for the bond ladder is if you're holding the bond to maturity, then you know what the cash flow is. You don't really care about the price movement in between. Bond funds will maybe a little bit different. Um, and then on credit risk, you know, uh, the credit risk is anything that you're taking, um, you know, of lower credit quality relative to government bond. That's typically the way it's thought of. So high yield bonds sound great. You know, they're yielding a, a lot more than high quality bonds than treasury bonds. Um, but you're taking a lot more credit risk to do that. And in these types of um, higher yield bonds, generally speaking, their volatility or how their wiggle factor, how much they bounce around often appears fairly low until an event happens like the financial crisis, like, you know, March of 2021 when COVID happened and things got locked down. Even the fourth quarter of 2018, there was a bit of a kind of a credit gap down, if you will. And then everything is just kind of going along hunky-dory and then all of a sudden you lose 10 or 15 or 20 percent or maybe even more. You know, 2008 was quite a, a bad year for these credit-sensitive investments. So um, you have to be careful. Higher yield equals higher risk, no free lunch, and you need to know what kind of risk that you're taking there. But these are all things that I think a conservative investor can do. But again, it all starts with that financial plan for sure. I just love the uh, fact that something that sounds so positive is high yield is the, another name for it is junk. <laughs> so that juxtaposition between the two names never gets old for me. Um, good marketing. It's good marketing. Absolutely. Uh, well, there you have it. Hopefully that helps you out if you are looking for kind of a synopsis of where to be these days as a conservative investor there's a bit of the landscape. And if you want to talk to Kevin a little bit more in depth about some of these things in regards to your particular situation, you can do that by going to truewealthdesign.com, click on the Are We Right For You button and schedule your 15-minute call with an experienced financial advisor on the team. That's truewealthdesign.com and click the Are We Right For You button. And still got the old-fashioned telephone as well. So pick up the phone, give a call if you prefer that method, 855-TWD-PLAN. That's 855-TWD for True Wealth Design Plan. 
Or that's 855-893-7526. Kevin, thanks for the help. Enjoyed the conversations with you this week, and uh, we'll look forward to two new episodes next month. Thanks, Walt. All right, we appreciate it. That's Kevin Krosky. I'm Walter Storholt. We'll talk to you next time right back here on Retire Smarter. Information provided is for informational purposes only and does not constitute investment, tax, or legal advice. Information is obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accurateness and completeness cannot be guaranteed. All performance reference is historical and not an indication of future results. Benchmark indices are hypothetical and do not include any investment fees.